morning and a welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We welcome you to Father's Day. And we do welcome you to a brand new series. We're entitling it Stories Jesus Told. How many of you like stories? Like stories? Maybe you read stories. Maybe you like to watch them. Uh, maybe as a television show or as a movie. But the concept of a story uh, is powerful. Now, how many of you read books or read stories to kids or grandkids? Should be, yeah, a bunch, a bunch of hands. I remember our girls were little and we had a bunch of books. And I don't know if this is what they would say, but this is probably the book that uh, was my favorite. The book that stood out to me the most, that at least I remember reading the most. I don't know. We'll, we'll see if it's the same. But I remember the monster at the end of the book, which featured Grover. Anybody remember reading that? I believe it's been around, as of now, it's been around just over 50 years. So certainly the, the girls were younger, but I remember reading stories and, you know, you would, you'd, sometimes you'd read it and act it out with, uh, with some of the voices of the characters and, and act out some of the things on the page. And so it's, it's fun to read stories. It's fun for you and I maybe to watch a story. Jesus told stories. We refer to them as parables. These are stories Jesus told about familiar things, and so he uses natural things to present a spiritual truth. And so he would, he would talk about things such as a sower and seed, or talk about a net, or talk about sheep and goats. He would talk about things that the average, everyday person would know and understand, but in the midst of those stories was some spiritual truth. And so one of the uh, most well-known parables is the parable of the prodigal son. So one night while putting his five-year-old son to bed, a father was reading this story. He was reading the parable of the prodigal son. Together they discussed how the young man had taken his inheritance, left home, and lived it up until he had nothing left. Finally, when he couldn't even eat as well as the pigs... He went home to his father, who welcomed him with open arms. When the dramatic story was finished, the father asked the little boy what he had learned. And in true five-year-old thinking moments, the little boy thought and said, Dad, I learned never to leave home without a credit card. <laughs> now, you know, I haven't had all the Greek and Hebrew. I do have a, you know, a Bible college degree, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was not Jesus' point of the message. The point of the story is don't leave home without your credit card. But I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're going to explore some of this particular story. And so the story Jesus told, the parable of the lost or prodigal son, Today we want to look at knowing the Father. Certainly the Son is the one who left and came back. We'll get into the details. But the Father in the story is representative of our Heavenly Father. And so I want you to know more about God, our Heavenly Father. So Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, it says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. You think, wait, to illustrate a point further, are we missing something? The answer is yes. 
If you back up to the top of that chapter, the beginning of chapter 15, it shows that Jesus was spending some time with tax collectors and sinners, individuals who were not really the, the most well-regarded in society. Even in Jesus' day, people were not crazy about tax collectors. No amens on that. Okay, that's all right. You love paying your taxes. Very good. So these were individuals. Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors. He was hanging out with sinners. And that got the religious leaders, the Pharisees, a little upset. Because didn't he know what kind of people he was spending some time with? Well, Jesus told them a story. First, he told them a story, a parable about the lost sheep. Individual had a hundred sheep, lost one, and went, searched, and found it, and rejoiced. But then he told a second story. A woman had ten coins, lost a coin, swept, went through her entire house, found the coin, shared it with her neighbors. Everybody rejoiced because what was lost was found. So this is the third story in a row. Jesus is emphasizing when something is lost, the goal is for it to be found. And when it's found, there's great rejoicing. And he said the same thing when a sinner repents, when the lost come to know me and have a relationship with God, the angels in heaven rejoice. So it's lost, found, rejoicing. So to illustrate further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So he's requesting his portions of what the father had worked so hard over his lifetime to earn. Now, the son hadn't done anything to earn this, right? He just wanted it. So, hey, it's, it's my inheritance. I know you're not dead yet, dad, but I want it and I want it now. So, he didn't earn it, but he wanted and requested it. It's really more a matter of grace. Now, it's legal. I mean, certainly you can ask for it. But wouldn't you agree it's a little bit of a highly unusual thing to ask for an inheritance while the owner of that inheritance, the father, is still living? So the son's basically saying, I want it now. I don't want to wait. You, you seem to be in good, good health, Dad, but, but give me my share now, so the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Verse 13, a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Just a few days later. How many mistakes, how many errors, how many wrongs, how many difficult situations have you and I gotten into because we simply didn't take enough time to think about or plan or prepare? So he makes this big, bold move. I want my inheritance. The father gives it to him. And boom, a few days later, he takes off and he goes to a distant land. I mean, he's wanting to get away from dear old dad. Now, there might be some mixed reactions. Some of you in here are like, yeah, I'll get away as far as I can. And some of you are saying, oh, I want to stay as close as I can. This son, he moved to a distant land as, as far as he could get virtually. So it says, as he did that, he wasted all his money in wild living. So can you imagine? You ask your dad, I want the advance. I want my inheritance, but I want it now. In a few days, boom, split second, he leaves, goes to a distant land, wastes it, squanders it. 
The word wild, some of your uh, Bibles or versions or translations would say, wasted it in prodigal living. So prodigal son, prodigal living, that word there, wasted, means to blow away. It's the same word that's often used when we say and we talk about separating grain from the chaff. So uh, when you would kind of harvest and separate the good grain from the not so uh good chaff. It's the blowing away. It's, it's, hey, here's what you've got. And all of a sudden it's gone. He wasted it. He blew it. Now you and I in the story, we see Jesus telling this. We've heard the story probably. And we understand from afar. <laughs> Some of us are even pretty good about wagging the finger, right? Can you believe that guy? I mean, he did what? He got everything. He got his inheritance, and he blew it. He wasted it in wild living. I mean, that is just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. In our day, in our culture, where we're sitting right here, we look at him in the story, and we say, oh, I can't believe he did that. It's not always the same respect when we're the ones in the story. You ever had somebody come to you, or, or maybe you just see, you see a friend, you see a family member, a co-worker, a classmate, neighbor, whatever, and you see their living, you see their choices, you see their decisions, and to you, it should be so obvious from a mile away, they're not headed in the right direction. But then when it comes to you, in our life, and our situation, sometimes it doesn't seem so obvious because we're plunging headlong into something we want to do. So we look at this and we say, I can't believe he did that. But when we're in the midst of a situation, sometimes we don't always have the best mindset. Now, verse 14 says, about the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. Now, again, it's, it's a story by Jesus, but it, there's a lot of truth in this, in that sooner or later, many times, most times in life, our decisions have consequences, right? He asked for everything. He got it. He spent it. Now he's broke, and not only is he broke, everybody around him is struggling because there's a famine, and he's starving. So what does he do? Verse 15 says he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, how many of you have ever gotten so hungry you were just hoping for some good pig pods? I don't see any hands on that. I mean... The, the food, the stuff he was given to the pigs, he had nothing. Remember, he's, he's broke. He's got nothing. And that stuff looked good to him, and, and nobody was helping him out. That's how low, in a sense, he had sunk. I'm sure in his mind, there is no way he thought he would be in this point. I mean, man, I've got everything my dad gave me. I'm rich. I can do whatever I want. I got my whole life ahead of me. He wastes it, he squanders it, and now all of a sudden, pig pods are looking pretty good. Now, for the Jew, Jews would not and could not eat pork, 
touch, work with them. See, he'd really sunk pretty low that, hey, I'll take whatever I can get, even if it's working with and feeding the pigs. If, uh, if there was a TV show back in the day, you know, Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs, he'd have hung out with the prodigal son. This was a dirty job, hanging out and helping with the pigs. Verse 17, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. Can you imagine? It's going through his mind. I'm the son. I'm flesh and blood to my dad. I've got nothing. I'm hoping I can maybe steal a few pods from the pig. But back home, the servants, the workers, the people who view my dad as boss, they've got no relationship. They've got no sonship. But boy, they got a whole lot more than I've got right about now. So it says he came to his senses. So verse 18, what is he going to do? He said, I'll go home to my father. And I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son, but please take me as a hired servant. It's sinking in. He's saying, hey, I'm the son and I got nothing, but the servants, the workers for my dad, they got something. So I'll just say, hey, Dad, I know I blew it. I messed up. Maybe I can at least be a servant. Maybe I can at least work for you, Dad. Now the road home starts. As he comes to his senses, he confesses. He says, I'm going to go to my dad. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to confess. I've sinned. I've blown it. I've done wrong. That's repentance. That's confession. It's turning from our sin and turning to God. Now, confession and repentance, it's not the same thing as just being sorry that we were caught. Because that happens to people, right? They get caught, and only then do then they say, oh, I'm sorry. And they apologize, and then they confess. This is confession and repentance to say, I blew it, God. So again, to, today, the story, we often label it as the prodigal son, meaning a, a reckless spendthrift, one who's out of control. Now, pastor and author Timothy Keller, he wrote a book entitled The Prodigal God, and he pointed out that God recklessly lavishes his love and grace and forgiveness on us giving us more than we deserve. I love this quote. He says, God's reckless grace is our greatest hope. God's reckless grace, God's reckless love, God's reckless mercy and forgiveness is our greatest hope. So today, let's, let's explore the heart of the Father and see not just who the heavenly father is, what kind of a God, what kind of a heavenly father he is, but the things that he is and who he is and what he does are some great challenges and encouragement for you and I and how we live. First of all, who is this heavenly father? He's a heavenly father who watches eagerly. 
See, in verse 20, the first part, it says that he returned home. This prodigal son who'd wasted everything returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. He was eagerly watching, eagerly waiting for the son, even when he was a long way off. So it tends to indicate he he had continued to watch and look and see, is my son back? Is he coming home? Can you imagine how excited the father would have been? I I know we messed up, but he's coming. He's coming back. He sees him coming. I want you to know, God watches you eagerly. You're more than just some kind of number to God. And we've got numbers all over our society. If you want to go to the supermarket and get some deli, take a number. Want to go to the, the, the BMV and get your car registration or a license, get a number. Whether it's a, one of those little pull numbers or a digital numbers, everybody's waiting in line for a number. You're more than a number to God. God knows everything about you. He eagerly watches over you. Yes, the Bible says even knowing the very hairs on our head. We said it before. It's it's easier for some than others. But he knows. God knows and sees and watches you and me. Now, certainly as as a father, I, I love to watch over our girls, and even from the very beginning when they were, they were little, I mean, Autumn and then Brooklyn, I would watch over, and, and you take pictures and video. I mean, I, I'm sure I took hundreds of photos just in the first few days before they even left the hospital. I mean, they're so little, and they really don't do anything at that point, right? They just lay there. They eat, and they sleep. And then they mess, you know, their diapers, sometimes, uh, you know, really, really well. And, and you kind of wrap them up like a little baby burrito. I think they send uh, all new parents to Chipotle for training to learn how to, how to take this baby and wrap them up in the blanket. But, I mean, you take pictures because everybody that comes through the hospital, you want to remember that they were here and they held your baby. And so you got picture, picture, picture. And then, whether it's Autumn or Brooklyn laying in that little thing, you're snapping pictures away. Because every single facial expression, it's different. I mean, you're just so excited, right? You're eagerly watching. I mean, as a parent, you're eagerly watching. And it doesn't stop just when they get out of the hospital. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop because I keep eagerly watching photo upon photo and video upon videos. You know, throughout life, they're going through church and and, uh, different plays. And whether it's an Easter egg hunt or Christmas play or or a VBS, I mean, pictures and video. And school, school plays and and awards and sports and this sport and that sport. and, And going here and we're going there and family this and family that. It's pictures and video and because you're eagerly watching. They tease me because I, I do enjoy taking a lot of photos. And we've got them trained. They, they tend to smile a lot, you know. Uh, when they were little, they're going around the merry-go-rounds. When they'd be coming around the corner towards me, they'd be smiling. Snap, snap, snap. And as soon as they, you know, pass me, I'm sure they're like, you know, getting their, getting their cheek muscles all ready to go for that next time around. 
time after time, even to some of our, our, our latest adventure just uh, about a week or two ago, went to Wisconsin Dells and took photos and, and video. We did, we did some things that we had not done before. So sometimes it's not just eagerly watching. Sometimes it's actively participating. One of our favorites was uh, we did a jet boat tour, a jet boat that had 1,200 horsepower. They took us out on the lake, uh, a boat that could fit about, uh, I don't know, 40 people or so. is about half full. And uh, they, they were preparing you to get wet. And we were going quite a bit. And, you know, we get a little damp, a little bit of mist, a little bit of spray. And one of the first few times then something happened and we got just a wee bit wet. And I, I'd taken my camera, I, I took my old camera, put it in a, a waterproof case, and, and it's so bright, I'm, I'm just kind of guessing at, you know, taking some photos, taking some videos, and hoping I might get something. And so one of these particular videos was two to three minutes long. Autumn edited it down, and we referred to it as my favorite 15 seconds so far of the year. And I was eagerly watching, and, and after she'd edited it, she sent it to our, our family text thread, and I, I watched it probably 10 to 20 times in a row, like, like time after time. I watched it so much, she started, I think she filmed me on her, on her phone watching the video with my reaction. So I figure, you know, since I'm eagerly watching them and participating, let's just share it with you guys. So here's the, the favorite 15 seconds of 2022. But that's, that's what I was doing. I was just playing and playing and playing. We got literally drenched. I don't, I don't think there was a millimeter of clothing that was dry. But it was all about, you know, watching and participating. I mean, from we little, you know, if, if you've been on social media sometimes with Facebook, they show you some of your Facebook memories and it jogs your memory. As a parent, as a grandparent, you're eagerly watching your kids and your grandkids. But I want you to know, from a father's perspective, a heavenly father's perspective, there's nothing that you and I go through that is unseen by our loving heavenly father's eyes. And we see in this story, in Jesus' story, the father saw him coming. I want to encourage you. The Father sees you. The Father sees your needs. The Father sees your struggles. The Father sees the, the difficulties that you face. The Father sees those. Sometimes people get the thought, well, God's just unaware. God has no clue. He's aloof. He's just out there. God doesn't know what I'm going through. I want you to know the Heavenly Father does. He's a loving Heavenly Father who watches eagerly. He desires for you and I to turn to him or return to him or remain faithful to him. But he's eagerly waiting and watching. Secondly, in our text, what we see about the father and our heavenly father is that he loves unconditionally. Finishing out that verse in verse 20, it says that the father filled with love and compassion ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
When does it say that the father was filled with all this love and compassion? Was it after the son came, got everything all straightened around and, you know, paid off his debt and got his life cleaned up? Or was it before he actually saw him? It says, filled with love and compassion, he ran. It was before. There was love and compassion in this father's heart. Now, in, in the, certainly in the Jewish culture in that biblical time, uh, men are wearing you know, long robes and tunics. Uh, no Levi's and Nikes for them. I mean, VBS, Bible story, uh, we've got some kind of little uh, Bible costumes. I'll put on a tunic maybe in, in telling a Bible story and, and a little you know, rope belt. And it's bagging. It just it hangs down. Can you imagine trying to run in that? You would trip. Your, your feet would uh, trip up. So what do you got to do? You've got to kind of pull your robe or your tunic up. Well, if you pull the robe or your tunic up, you're exposing your legs, and that was considered highly undignified. Men of respect, high regard, would not run. Would have been considered embarrassing. Was the father worried about being embarrassed? Was the father worried about what somebody might say? Hey, I see his knees. Yeah, well, I see my son, he says. I'm filled with love. I'm filled with compassion. He runs, he embraces him, and he kisses him. All of that, the son hasn't even gotten his speech out, right? He said, I'm going to go to my father and tell him, I'm not worthy to be your son, but can I at least be a servant? Notice the father didn't set conditions for his love and acceptance. The father didn't say, hey, son, you got to take yourself a bath first because I can smell you from here. Take a bath, get a haircut, get some clean clothes, start working to pay off your debt, and then maybe I'll consider loving you. Now, the love and acceptance was there first. It's a good question for you and I to think about is, do we sometimes put conditions on our love for other people? Well, if you're, if you're not like me, I'm not quite sure if I want to love. The Father hears this, and he's been gone. He's messed up. He's made a lot of mistakes. He doesn't look the best or smell the best, and he's broke. I've got a love, and I've got a heart for my son. That's the encouragement for you and I towards others. That's pretty powerful. The, the love that the father had for the son, he loved him so much, he let him make his own decisions. You think the father was crazy about giving him the inheritance early? He said, you want that? I'll bless you with that, son. Probably not the wisest move in his mind, but he's going to let the son go ahead and make his decisions. For you and I, if we want to walk out on God, if we want to do our own thing, live our own life, God allows us to, gives us the freedom to. But the father hadn't lost hope. The father's watching, eagerly waiting and desiring that he would return. 
encouragement for you and I is no matter how far we might fall, no matter how long we might need to wait, the door is open for you and I to return. So the Heavenly Father, He is one who watches eagerly and loves unconditionally. Thirdly, the Heavenly Father forgives completely. See, in verse 21, the Son said, here's the big speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you and am no longer worthy to be called your Son. What's the Father's response? Verse 24 and in 32, he says, This son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now is found. Then again in verse 32, after the older brother hears about it, and he's not so happy about all the stuff the Father is doing for him, he tells the brother, Your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost but now is found. One of the things that is powerful here about the Father's forgiveness, this is one of the commentators who wrote this. The Father didn't rub it in, he rubbed it out. I like that. The Father didn't rub it in. I mean, how tempting would it be when somebody who did something that you didn't approve of and you didn't think it was going to work and they went out and they tried it and it didn't work and they came back, How tempting would it be to go, I told you so. How tempting would it be to kind of rub their face in their mistake and in their sin and in their errors? To hold it over the sun forever and ever. You know, remember that time, son? You took my inheritance and wasted it. Yeah, what a bum you were. He said he didn't rub it in. He rubbed it out as in he forgave him. The father forgave him. He he wasn't there reminding him of the obvious. Captain obvious, you blew the inheritance. The prodigal son here probably didn't need a lecture as much as he needed a second chance. The father was providing it. He forgave him completely. Now, scholars have discovered that many Jewish rabbis of the day have told a similar story to the one that Jesus told. In fact, the story is uh, apparently told even before when Jesus told his. And so as Jesus was telling it, Pharisees and teachers were probably thinking, oh yeah, I heard that one before. You know, someone starts telling you a story and you, 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 wanna, you just want to wait for the right moment and then beat them to the punchline. Because you know the story. Maybe what some of these religious leaders were, were doing. So they'd heard the story before, but there was quite a twist in the one that Jesus told. You see, in the one that the rabbis were telling, the younger son ran away from home and spent all his father's money. That was the same. But in the rabbi's story, when he came crawling home, the dad rejected him. The son begs his father to take him back, but the father looks away and basically says, forget it. You had your chance. You want to live like a pig? Go back to the pigs. That's that's kind of the story, and and that's what a lot of people might have done or might have thought. Hey, you blew it. You messed up big time. Don't come crawling back to me. 
See, in the original story that many of the rabbis were telling, the son was getting exactly what he deserved. But Jesus' story was illustrating the point that God welcomes you and welcomes me home when we return. We don't get what we deserve. That's grace. He forgives completely. Someone had once asked President Abraham Lincoln towards the end of the Civil War, how are you going to treat those rebellious Southerners when the war is over? Apparently, the president replied, I will treat them as though they had never been away. Hmm. That's what this father did in the story. That's what our heavenly father is willing to do for you and for me. To treat us as if we'd never been away. To, uh, to treat us with grace, not with what we deserve. He forgives completely. Finally today. The Heavenly Father and the Father in our story desires to celebrate generously. Verse 22, the Father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. And so the party began. Can you imagine? I mean, again, this is a story, but imagine should this have been real life? And again, this is what the older brother in some of the following verses, he's not real thrilled that his younger brother wasted everything, came back, and his father is celebrating. Look at the celebration. First of all, he says, bring out the finest robe. This isn't some old, faded, beat-up, worn-out T-shirt that's laying around the closet. Can I confess? The T-shirts that I mow in, the T-shirts that I do yard work in, like after the storm this week when we had all kinds of debris and tree limbs and everything down, the T-shirts that I wear to work, and get sweaty, and paint, and do yard work, our old VBS t-shirts. <laughs> some of you do the same. On, that's why we're, that's why we're doing algebra. Some of you got t-shirts. Quick plug. But you know, you've got some shirts laying around that when somebody, you know, they need a shirt, you go dig out that one from the closet, from that bottom of the drawer that you don't really care about, and you're like, yeah, you put this on. In other words, if they put it on and they wear it back home and they forget about it, you're okay with it. Everybody got a, a shirt or two like that laying around? I see a bunch of heads nodding. That's not what the father was doing. He didn't say, go deep in the closet, go deep in the, in the bureau dresser drawer. And get that beat-up T-shirt. He said, bring out the finest robe. Jewish culture, the robe was a symbol and sign of sonship. He was welcoming him back as a full member of the family. Regardless of all he'd done, regardless of how he looked or smelled, he was still his son. And he put that lovely robe covering up the filth and the dirt of his mistakes. 
So he said, bring out a robe. And he said, get a ring for his finger. It's a, a signet ring. It's a sign of authority. This is not just, you know, some jewelry. Hey, go get the kids some bling. It wasn't about that. It was a, a, a special ring, a signet ring. It's, it's, in a sense, what you might use to kind of pay your bills with. Kings would imprint when they would send an edict out, and it would have an imprint uh, oftentimes in wax of the king's ring. It'd be almost like the precursor to a credit card. So he's, he's welcoming him back to the family, again, symbolizing the status to the home. So the robe, the ring, sandals, sign of freedom and privilege. Servants didn't have and wear the sandals. Family members, sons, yes. And he said, bring a fattened calf. One that you're ready and preparing for special occasions. Now, uh, maybe not everybody has, you know, a cow out back. Unless you've got, you know, uh, a lot of acreage or something like that or a farm or you're preparing for 4-H or the, uh, the fair. But, but think of it this way. It's almost like a Thanksgiving Christmas turkey. Or in, in uh, the Gardner household, it would be like homemade noodles. You know, it's one of those where it's special occasions that we get this. You ever got a meal like that? He said, go get the calf we've been fattening. We've been preparing, getting ready for that next special occasion. And this is that. So the robe, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf. And then he says, let's celebrate with the feast and the party began. You like to celebrate? Like to have a party, we, we celebrate all kinds of achievements from babies to jobs to first day of school and graduating high school or graduating college or first job. I mean, all kinds of things. We don't, we don't take a whole lot to just come up with the time for celebration, right? I mean, let's just celebrate. I mean, you go through the calendar, every day on the calendar is National Something Something Day. National Ice Cream Day, National Waffle Day, National Peanut Butter Day. I mean, we don't, it didn't take much for us to celebrate. The father was celebrating his son and celebrating generously. You know, the son who asked for inheritance, the son who blew it all, the son who had fallen so low, he got a job and was so hungry he wanted to eat what the pigs ate. He came back, and the father was watching eagerly. The father was loving unconditionally. The father was forgiving completely, and the father was celebrating generously. Generously. 